Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of CenterVision. It's the synergy of a common vision, what music conductors know how to do and what leaders know how to do, especially our guest today. So on the Nonprofit Exchange, our guest today is Chris Lambert. So Chris, tell people a little bit about who you are and your your, your background and why you're doing the work that you're doing. Today's episode is called Next Level Nonprofit, and your book also has How to Build a Dream Team and increase lasting impact. I can hardly wait. Chris, tell us about who you are. Who am I? I'm a husband. I'm a father of two amazing, wild and crazy sons. I am a proud resident of the city of Detroit. I founded and lead a nonprofit called Life Remodeled. And then I wrote the book Next Level Nonprofit and created the coaching program. And so to start off with Life Remodeled, I always like to start with why. And, and once we translation to, translate to Next Level Nonprofit, I'm going to do the same. But the reason why Life Remodeled exists in Detroit is because we're absolutely convinced Detroiters have all the talent they need, but many don't have access to all the opportunities they deserve. And so what we do in response to this reality is we repurpose large vacant school buildings into one-stop hubs of opportunity for entire families to thrive. And then we, what we do is we fill these buildings with the best and brightest nonprofits who are moving the needle in three areas, either youth programs, workforce development initiatives, or health and human services. And then we help these organizations collaborate to make far greater impact together than they could ever make alone and really move the needle in an impactful way. And um, I started the organization in 2010. Our first four years were very messy, very rocky. And then we created this system and we started implementing these principles that are what we're going to talk about today in Next Level Nonprofit. And over the next eight years, we ended up investing over $43 million into Detroit neighborhoods. We renovated four schools, mobilized 77,000 volunteers, and we became widely recognized as one of the best managed nonprofits in the state, highest score you can have on Charity Navigator and GuideStar. And, um, you know, look, I have a lot of mistakes along the way, which I'm happy to share. And what I believe that we can do with Next Level Nonprofit is is, is help you avoid those um, avoidable mistakes and, and truly accomplish far more than you're currently accomplishing. Wow. You ran a lot of amazing numbers by us. That's that's pretty impressive. You said it was, uh, how did you describe the start out? Did you say it was messy? What'd you say? Messy, rocky. We created a big wake of, uh, you know, hiring people we shouldn't have hired and making mistakes, not knowing how to coach people and burn bridges and, you know, just all, okay. all with good hearts and good intent. But things that had I known then what I know now, not only would those not have happened, but we would actually have been even further along than we already are. Chris, I hate to tell you, this never happened to anybody else. <laughs> I know. I know I'm alone. Maybe Hugh, maybe you've you've made a mistake once or twice in this area, but uh, well, yeah, let's all just take a deep breath and recognize we've all been there. No, I was kidding. It's it's those are customary, and you know I'm an expert in these things because at 77 I've made all the mistakes, 
And, you know, fortunately, I'm smarter than I look and I've learned from those. So those are learning opportunities. So, you know, being very direct about, no, I didn't do everything correctly is a really good leadership trait. So being yeah. able to admit that and say that is, I, I, I commend you for that. So the hmm. nonprofit is called Life Remodel. Is that what it's called? Yes, it is. And I ascribe to the teaching myself. I'm a lifelong learner and I'm always about constantly improving because the people we serve deserve it. Yeah. So you gave us a lot of things that Life Remodel do, but you also said there were some some missteps going up. So the, so the, you didn't give up. <laughs> you figured it out. You know, one of the challenges that leaders have and really motivates me is give me a mess. I like to figure it out. So it sounds like you're you're your cousin to that. You you put it together. So was that the inspiration for writing your book? So I'll also start with why, right? Why next level nonprofit? Why the book? Why the coaching? And it's really simple that we are absolutely convinced. And I actually almost every nonprofit leader I know believes this that the people that we serve as nonprofit leaders deserve the highest level of excellence we can possibly give them. The challenge is most of the nonprofit leaders I know are incredible people with huge hearts, but they don't have a lot of experience in thriving for-profit companies or industries. And so there's a lot that they don't know what they don't know about truly creating an incredibly healthy and impactful organization. And so by not investing the time necessary on our inward internal systems leads to us not achieving what we know we're capable of. And in fact, in many cases, for people to burn out. And so this book and this system, it's a blueprint for organizational operational excellence that leads to you building a dream team and therefore increasing lasting impact. Because our work is about impact, isn't it? Yes, yeah, sir. That's why we do what we do. We're yeah. here for people. Oh, amen. Uh, before we go on to my next question, I, I'm going to back up a second. You used some strange words that we don't understand. Um, community, collaboration, <laughs> which you, it's amazing that, that those words are tossed around and people don't really know how to do those. So give us a little enlightenment on why those are important. I'm sure they're important in your world. We didn't prep for this much, but I I know that uh, those are words that people need to hear from you, community and collaboration. Would you talk about those a little bit, please? Yeah, and what Life Remodel does here in Detroit is distinct from what we're going to talk about today with Next Level Nonprofit, but all throughout the book in Next Level Nonprofit, you're going to see references to Life Remodel's real-life experiences, failures, progress, lessons learned. And back to, you know, Lifer Model, we repurpose vacant school buildings and fill them up with dozens and dozens of nonprofits. We help them collaborate because no one nonprofit has the solutions to all society's challenges. And we're a lot better when we work together. And look, I've been guilty of this. A lot of us are operating in silos and we often think that, you know, it's a zero sum game. Um, but part of us does want to collaborate and part of us just doesn't know how. And so we figured out how to do that on a local level. And proximity really is the biggest factor, which is why we repurpose these vacant school buildings and put so many nonprofits in there. And along the way, we've learned a lot about nonprofits of a wide variety of sizes and shapes 
and missions and all of that plays into us creating this system that really translates to organizations of any size. There is no nonprofit too big. You could have 10,000 staff. You could have one or anywhere in between. These principles are universal. So let's go back to this a little bit. I'm just beginning to get that, you know, consider my age and mental condition here. You let me get a little more granular. <laughs> you gave me a little hint there. So you're buying, so there's a physical property and you're buying it and you're you're actually promoting collaboration by people being together. So a little bit more about how that works, please. All right. So when you think vacant school building, you got to think Harry Potter school. We acquire gorgeous works of art, school buildings that unfortunately went vacant. And I never want to see any school close. When a school closes, that's like a dagger to the heart of hope to communities that have experienced high levels of marginalization and oppression. And so we take this painful disinvestment. And what it used to be is it used to be a beacon of hope for education in, in athletics, academics, and social advancement. And we turn it into an opportunity hub for all ages, for entire families in all of those areas. And we find out from the community, what increased opportunities do you want? And almost every community that we engage says the same three things. We want more youth programs. We want more job opportunities that lead to real sustainable livable wage jobs. And we want more health and human services. And so we, instead of us creating those programs, we find who is the best at those things. And we move them into our space. We lease fixed office space. It's not a co-working space. It's fixed space. We lease it to them at cost. What it costs us to operate the building is what they pay. That means everybody wants to be located in our buildings because there is no such thing as a landlord that doesn't want to make a profit. Well, that's what we do. And then we're doing more than leasing space. We get very intentional on setting extremely ambitious goals that are realistic if we work together. And we use data to figure out if we're actually on track to hit it or not and to pivot and to work together to, to achieve those outcomes. Amazing. Amazing. And um, there's more and more co-working space going up for small businesses. Actually, I heard this weekend that uh, Verizon is putting people into these spaces. They're spending $700 million a month, and they're saving a lot of money on office space. So it yeah. really makes sense for, for big business to say, oh, we need to put together uh, some people. So the what happens on site people need their private time but you know there's also public places and what you're doing is just brilliant i'm just i'm, I'm more impressed and we're just like 10 minutes into this interview so um now you mentioned um somewhere in your book and your writings uh, an organizational operating system can you expand on that a little bit all right so what next level nonprofit is not is it's not a software but I'm going to use software as an analogy. So for you PC users, think about Windows. For you Mac users, that's me, think about iOS or your iPhone iOS or your Android Android, right? Those are all the operating systems. Now, in my opinion, that's the most important software on the entire device because every other program that will ever integrate with that device will integrate because of your operating system. And an operating system on on uh, software side, it takes extremely complex inputs and makes them simple, right? And so in many ways, that's what an organizational operating system does. There's four key components. 
to an excellent organizational operating system. They are number one, team unity. Number two, compelling vision. Number three, right strategy. And number four, discipline and execution. And I want all of our listeners to imagine a flywheel on a car for a minute. Use this analogy, whether you're in the motor city and you know cars or you don't know anything about cars. In essence, the faster the flywheel goes, the faster the vehicle goes. And these four components are not strictly achieved in a linear fashion, but every time you improve these four components, your organization is going to go to the next level and the next level after that. And so you're constantly building all four of these components. It's not as if today we say, all right, we're going to build a, a dream team over the next month. And then once we do that, we'll come up with a compelling vision and then we'll discover a right strategy. You're really doing all these things at once. And the reality is the stronger your organization becomes, you're going to have access to higher levels of talent. If you're just starting up today or you're two or three years in, there's only a certain level of talent you're likely to recruit for your organization. But we can help you recruit the absolute best that you're capable of. And in some day, sometimes you can't outpunt your coverage. I mean, that happens every now and then, right? But the foundation of all of it is the right people in the right seats. And then we teach you how to do the right strategic planning, uh, how to actually, or um, how to operationalize your plan down to every single day and all the actions that we take. You know, that in my 35 years of doing this, I'm, my uniqueness is integrating strategy into performance. So I know that in that journey, that's where 90% of the failure is. Mm. It's exactly what you described. You okay. know, you've got to have the plan and there's so many that don't, but when you finish it, it's a piece of paper. Mm. So without what you do, there's no teeth to it. And so that's, that's, and you've learned this from the school of hard knocks. Plus you've had a lot of it formal education. So, uh, you know, I, my education is in musical conducting, yep. but I've, I've, I've moved it around to conducting a transformation in business and in, in nonprofit is a business. So it's, you know, we have to install what you're talking about. These are business operational principles. So let's go back to your four principles. The first Can I say something about nonprofit and business for a minute? Yes, sir. So I am absolutely convinced that leading a nonprofit is far more complex than leading a business. So if you take two organizations, one's a for-profit, one's a nonprofit, let's say they're both doing about the same size of annual revenue, because you got to compare apples to apples, right? Running the nonprofit's way more difficult, and here's why. In the for-profit world, your customers are paying market value for your goods or services. You keep them happy. Every You, you win, right? You're good. In the nonprofit world, your customers are not paying for your goods or services, or if they are, they're not paying market value. So you got to keep them happy, which is what which is why we do the work we do. But you got to keep your donors happy. You got to keep your volunteers happy. You got to keep your board happy. And they all have different agendas and perspectives and desires, right? We have to operate under financial constraints. We can't pay our staff the level that for-profit, you know, the for-profit world can. So we're under those constraints. We have two bottom lines, a financial bottom line and a social impact bottom line. Our work is very emotionally taxing and I'm just scratching the surface here, right? Which is all the more reason that running an organization well is so critical, but it's where so many, so many of us just don't know what we don't know. And you're, we're, we're so aligned in that, so perfectly put. 
and it's like you say, you just tip the iceberg. You know, the, first and foremost, it's a lot more rules for running a nonprofit with IRS and states and whatnot. So, yes, I'm I'm fully on board with that. I actually call it a not a for-profit business; it's a for-purpose in mm. tax-exempt business. So there's there's a, there's a, some values because you got the V word, the volunteers. But you know they can be good and they can be bad. It's it's down to what you talk about, and the team is the secret. And um, having been a conductor for many, many most of my life, you know, if you if you don't have strong team members, you're going to have a poor performance. And just realizing that, and you said, and when you talked about your setup, that you had some wrong people. So that's that's a big mistake we make. But let's go to the first. You mentioned the four components. The first one is team unity and you say look for a reindeer why do you do that and how do you know if they're on your team so there's a saying that's often used in the for-profit venture capitalist world but i've even heard it in the nonprofit world sometimes when we say we're looking for a new team member for a new job description we've created we finish creating this job description and we say wow we're looking for a unicorn and when we say that, part of us maybe believes that this person doesn't exist, or another part of us believes, well, maybe they do exist, but they're never going to want to come and work for our team, right? Well, I was five years old when I first discovered Santa Claus. Oh, spoiler alert, by the way. I discovered Santa Claus was not real. And this same day, I also came to the conclusion that reindeer weren't real either, because in my mind, they're one and the same, right? And the cartoons and so on and so forth. And it wasn't until um, I turned became a teenager that someone informed me about these creatures called reindeer. And I learned they were actually almost magical in their own right. I, I recommend you Google reindeer if you don't already know about just how incredible creatures they really are. And so when we say we're looking for team members, we say we're looking for reindeer. Other terms you might have heard of are A players, rock stars, right? Um, the top recruits or whatever you want to say. These are the top 10% of people in the pool who might look at your job description. These are the people you want to land for your organization. And there's some general principles to recruiting, retaining, and developing reindeer. And one of the places that we start is we created a tool that helps you understand, do you have reindeer on your team right now? Because here's one of the rules of, of reindeer. Reindeer will not stay in organizations that tolerate non-reindeer continuing to work. They don't want to work on teams with low performers, B players, C players, D players, right? And so even if you can recruit a reindeer, if you don't keep only reindeer in your organization, you're eventually going to lose all of them. And other people, when they're searching for jobs, they're doing research on you as an employer, they're finding out what kind of culture is this? What kind of team members are there? Great leaders, they're not going to teams that don't already have other great leaders. So it's essential that we only have reindeer on our team and we get everyone off the bus who's not a reindeer. And so we, we created a, a, a tool for that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So we... Um... We need to motivate all of our team. And one of the hardest ones is, is the board. And so um, let's go to strategy. Now, I shared with you, I'm, I'm a musical conductor. And when I'm on the podium, on my music stand is the score, the musical score. 
And so uh, everybody knows what to do because we've, they've all got their parts. So the, all the action plans are already distributed. So when I drop the baton, people, it's, it's, it's part of the team building is people know what they're supposed to do. So talk about strategy. I mean, we just met and we're so aligned. I'm just, I'm just really thrilled. So why is it the courier system and what's different about the way you do strategy? Because, you know, it's a lot of people. It's, oh, yeah, we got it here somewhere and they dust it off. That's no good. <laughs> All right. Well, you you stole my thunder here, oh, and I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build on that because you're absolutely right. I have seen dozens and dozens, and really hundreds of nonprofits uh, because of the work that we do and my friendships. I love nonprofit leaders. I love nonprofit organizations. I've discovered two extremes. Extreme number one is the nonprofit that doesn't have a strategic plan. Typically, smaller nonprofits, right? That's actually common. Or, or maybe they came up with one, but in reality, they know it's not, you know, it's not a strategic plan. The other extreme is the nonprofit that hired a consultant who was happy to collect tens of thousands of dollars and produce a beautiful 20 page plus plan that's doing a remarkable job sitting on your shelf collecting dust. And when a funder comes by, we pull it off, we dust it off before they get there and we say, Oh, you got to see this. This is our strategic plan, right? <laughs> but here's the problem. Nobody in the organization knows what's in there. Not only was that a grand waste of time, it actually caused more harm than good. Because that process, you were really excited about it. You you obviously put a lot of funding behind it. And, and I'm glad you prioritized strategic planning. But because you didn't actualize what you created, you've actually taught everyone in the organization that we don't actually mean what we say, right? And so there's this principle in strategic planning that great companies have been doing for decades. And it's create a two-page plan. Page one answers the question, where are we going? Page two answers the question, how do we get there? And by distilling it down to two pages, you create something that you can disseminate throughout the entire organization where they can actually get really excited about where you're going and they can have a very concrete vision of exactly how you're going to get there. And it's, it starts with you create a 10-year moonshot. I'll explain that. And then you break it down all the way to 90-day quarterly priorities. And you revisit this every 90 days. You reflect on your past quarter. You plan out your next quarter. At the end of the year, you spend two days reflecting on your last year. You plan out your next year. But the 10-year moonshot comes from former President Kennedy in 1961, he said, and I won't quote him verbatim, but we all know the, the gist of the quote that before the decade's out, we're going to put a man on the moon. I mean, he should have said person, but you know that's where we were at the time. We're going to put a man on the moon and return him safely to earth. Now, for those of us who grew up later than 1961, maybe we don't realize that was a ludicrous statement for several reasons. One, the technology did not exist. Number two, we didn't even know the math of how to effectively get that ship back to Earth. But what we did was we did more than just say something crazy. We put a plan in place to discover the technology, which we did, to learn the math, which we did. And we achieved that mission in 1969. Now, I got to just take a side note for a second. I got to tell you, Hugh, and I don't, maybe we'll diverge here, but I cannot stand it when nonprofits make aspirational vision statements that go something like this, 
we envision a world by the year 2040 where no child is hungry. Now, here's why that really angers me. If you have that plan to achieve that, please show it to me right away. I'm going to become your number one supporter overnight, right? If you don't have a plan to actually achieve that, never say that again. Because you're telling your team members, I'm going to fill you full of hot air and not actually hold you accountable to anything. You're telling your donors, I'm going to lie to you, all right, to make you feel good about what you're doing. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to produce anywhere near what I'm telling you, right? So stop talking like that. Instead, set a very ambitious goal. Okay, if President Kennedy would have said, we're going to go to Mars and back, that would have not been possible at the time. Now, we could say that today. If he would have said, my son actually said this, one of my sons, well, we should try to go to the sun and back. Okay, okay, son, let me let me talk a little bit about what that would look like, right? I'm not talking about setting impossible goals. I'm not talking about setting stretch goals. I'm talking about setting something that's truly remarkable, that actually can be done, and then we will work backwards from that plan all the way down to 90-day chunks to where eventually everyone in the organization is going to have three to seven quarterly priorities. Everyone, the custodian, the front desk person, the CEO, the chief advancement, everybody, right? And all of them are going to see very clearly exactly how their responsibilities tie in to that moonshot. And then their three-year picture, their one-year goals. And now all of a sudden, everybody is on the same page. They're excited and their jobs have meaning. And, and at the center of it all is your why. At the top of your page goes, why? Why do we exist? And you're constantly infusing your team with great vision and, and right strategy. You heard it here. Why? People don't care what till they know why. Come on. Hey, Chris, this is super. Um, we're, we're at our usual end time, but if you got a little more time, I, people will kill me for quitting so early. Let's can we go a little longer? I'm down. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm with you. I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to you, actually. So go ahead. Take it away. I mean, we could talk all day, but we want to leave people reason to go get your book and go to your website. But I'm going to ask about those two. But before that, um, I studied facilitation very seriously. And I run meetings, power meetings, because I'm a conductor. You know, we got two hours. You're hiring a professional orchestra. You're paying a lot of money. You got to get it done. So meetings is a passion of mine. But I want to hear your take on it. You know, um, you run different meetings differently. And, you know, bad meetings. If we have a bad rehearsal, we're going to have a bad concert, but people want to have bad meetings and expect good results anyway. So talk about meetings and why are yours different? Patrick Lencioni wrote one of my favorite books called Death by Meeting. Have you read it, Hugh? Yep. And you'll know at the center of his conclusion is what makes for a great meeting is appropriate levels of conflict. Now that word scares a lot of people, right? Um, I have become a a big fan of healthy conflict and it all starts with vulnerability. So we teach a framework for a 90 minute executive leadership team every single week. It has to start on time. It has to end on time. It has to take place in the same, take place in the same day, at the same time, every single week. And I can tell you this, every leader that does this comes to the same conclusion. These are the most effective, engaging and and really exciting meetings I've ever experienced in my life. And 
it's 90 minutes and there's a lot of things going on in that 90 minutes. And the first 30 minutes is moving through your scoreboard, which are your metrics and your quarterly priorities and your highs and your lows and you're checking in and all these things. And you're actually accomplishing team building. You're accomplishing being informed and, you know, what information do we need to cascade and so on and so forth. And then the last 60 minutes are spent on what we call opportunities and next steps. This is where you're leaning into the most pressing issues of the organization and you're driving toward next steps. So one of the reasons people hate meetings, right, is because oftentimes they don't really lead with a clear agenda or they don't lead, they don't end with clear next steps. Uh, one of the reasons that happens are pe you got people driving for perfection instead of just driving for at least 80% confidence that we need to make a decision. This is the right decision and let's go. Our meeting structure creates such high levels of accountability that even if you make a wrong decision, you're going to evaluate that so quickly and you're going to pivot so quickly, you're going to then arrive at the right decision more quick, quickly than you ever would have before. Also, because these are such action-oriented meetings, people want to show up and give their full selves and their full transparency, vulnerability, because we, we help you create an environment where everyone begins to realize my voice matters. If you don't hear from me, my voice is reflective of literally thousands of people. We're going to make a decision that's absent of important information and important emotion and important feelings. And so just like a conductor, which I, I love what you do, um, we're engaging people in a way where they may be all playing different instruments and different so on and so forth, you know, but at the end of the day, we're walking out of that meeting in unity, producing uh, an incredible final product that's far greater than it ever would have been in a traditional meeting. Oh, my word. We're on the same page. We slight difference in methodology, but, you know, we're all different. And that's music, pardon me, music to my ears. <laughs> so, um, Chris, um, the uh, the website is NLN Coaching. Is that it? Yes, sir. NLN, what does that stand for? Next Level Nonprofit, nlncoaching.org. Now, if people are watching the video, they can see it if they're on the uh, podcast. They don't see it. So when they go there, ah, there's a book. So tell us about the book and then tell us about what people will find on your website. This book is available on Amazon. It's also available anywhere you can find audiobooks. And it is completely open source. Literally everything in the entire model is in this book. You can read it. You can self-implement it anywhere in the country, in the world. I'm also going to tell you that this is not a sales pitch. This is absolute fact, proven inside and out. You're only going to go so far if you self-implement it. By bringing in a coach, it is absolutely game-changing. And this same thing is true. The, the most popular book in the for-profit world, it's very similar to these ideas, is called Traction. So some of our listeners are very familiar with EOS or Scaling Up or Rockefeller Habits. The same thing applies. There's books out there. You can read them. But when you bring in that outside individual to lead your executive leadership team through this system, you're going to go way faster, way further. But I would encourage you at least start with implementing what's in this book today, and you definitely will gain strides from that. And, you know, somebody that's not part of your team brings in different eyeballs, different systems, and your team acts differently. You know what? It's um, That's what we do. So what, what are the barriers in the way for people moving forward? Well, you've got lack of clarity. 
in, in internal communication. And that's something that I think all of us have heard multiple times. If our team members are brave enough to brave enough to tell us how they really feel, right? Um, you got team members who aren't accountable. Now, usually they won't self-voluntarily tell you that, but balls are just dropping in the organization. And in this system, it becomes so clear what everyone's responsible for. It's actually impossible to hide. And this isn't about trying to find people to throw under the bus, but this is about just getting a grip on what's going on in your organization so that when somebody does drop the ball, you can help them pick it back up if they want to. Now, if they don't want to, then you got a problem. That goes back to the reindeer standard. And the third piece is another barrier is just, I think all of us, this is really on our minds even now more than ever post-COVID, recruiting, developing, and retaining the top talent. Uh, because we can, you can come up with the best strategy in the world, and you can even have the most compelling visionary on earth. But if you don't have the right people in the right seats implementing that vision, it will never be achieved. My goodness. I hope Listeners, I hope, what viewers, I hope you're satisfied. There's a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of stuff, sound bites, explanations that, that you can think about in this in this short time we were together today. So I encourage you to go to nlncoaching.com, get the Next Level Leadership uh, Nonprofit book, and reach out to Chris because uh, he's, he's a thought leader with real good thoughts. And I got to tell you, having lived and worked in the sector for a long time, he's spot on. So Chris, um, we also By the have, way, it is, it is nlncoaching.org. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're good. Thank You're good. Thank you for fixing that. .org. Um, you can, you can find this episode on, uh, the nonprofitexchange.org. And this is one of many episodes. And of course it's, it'll be at the top when you look at it and this will be content. It don't know what part of history you'll be looking We're recording this toward the end of 2023. 2023 but it's these are timeless principles that people ignore or like chris pointed out don't know about so chris just a quick commercial here we have a community nonprofitcommunity.org and you're invited to come on and sound your voice about things nonprofitcommunity.org that's a public free community and if 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 you like it and you like us there's a paid part where you got a whole lot more content stuff like he's talking about so we ought to post some of your stuff in there and certainly we publish a magazine called Nonprofit Updates, Leadership Updates. So send us an article. We'll we'll share it with the rest of the world. So if, if folks, you want to check out talking to people, and this podcast is posted in the community as well. It'll be there uh, Thursday. So this is Tuesday. Thursday things happen. So Chris, as we leave this really great interview, what do you want to leave people with? A thought, a challenge, a tip? What do you want to leave people with? Um, I want to reinforce this, this idea that I have to remind myself of this every day. Who is greater than how? We can build incredibly dynamic teams. It does take a lot of intentionality. And every, each and every time we do it, though, we reflect on where we came from and we're reminded just how much more joyful it is to work with the, the right people in the right seats. And so I just want to say I'm encouraged by every one of you doing the work that you're doing. And I am on your side. I am cheerleading with you. And the future is bright. Chris Lambert, wise words. Thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.